realize how daunting a task like making a list of this sort is. Not to mention there's no way to make one without upsetting someone or throwing it off and no one's going to agree, but I'm going to give it a shot here today as I rank every Star Wars movie and TV show. But before we get into that, if you're new here, thanks for coming on out. If you're a returner, hey, welcome back. I like to make podcasts all about the greatest things in the 1980s. So if you haven't already, and if you want to, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there. And also a quick shout out, if you're a part of Patreon.com and the Everything 80s Movie Club, I just released a movie review of The Princess Bride. So go check your feeds there, patreon.com slash 80s. If you want to learn more about what that is, just stick around at the end of the episode and I'll fill you in. So let's get to this. So there are plenty of lists that rank all the Star Wars movies, but I want to include the TV shows because especially with Disney Plus now, Star Wars and TV have become a powerful combination. I'm going to focus on just the live action movies and TV shows. I realize there's an entire world of animated Star Wars content, but that could keep us here for days, and I have not seen a lot of it. And I would probably have to lie down if I tried to make a list like that. And of course, lists like these are as subjective as they come. I think, however, that I come at it from a decent perspective. I was a little kid when Star Wars hit its stride in the 1980s. I was basically a baby when the original one came out, but I was coming, you know into my own as far as embracing all things pop culture by the time The Empire Strikes Back came out and Return of the Jedi. And when the prequels came out, I was now in high school. So I think I was of the age that most anticipated their release. So I've seen the entire landscape of Star Wars over my years. So I hope I can put that perspective to good use. Okay, so we're going to order them from worst to first. I've got 16 entries here between the movies and the TV shows. Okay, here we go. Number 16, Attack of the Clones. I tried to rewatch Attack of the Clones the other day and I just couldn't do it. I got about halfway through before turning it off. I mean, I don't know. The acting is brutal. It looks like it's one long video game as far as just all the CGI. It's so clunky and lost. Interesting though, this was one of the very first movies ever that was shot 100% digitally. And I think the issue is that they filled the screen with as much technology and CGI as possible, and it just distracts from the heart and soul of Star Wars to me. Here, technology takes precedence over everything else. This was also the second part of a new trilogy, and I think we had our expectations high for, you know, maybe another Empire Strikes Back, and this was really going to turn this whole thing around. But the film just seemed to drag on talking about, you know, trade embargoes and government policies, you know, things kids just love. Number 15, Ewoks, The Battle for Endor. So Battle for Endor came out in 1985 and was the second made-for-TV Star Wars offering. Well, Technically the third. There is another, but we'll get to that in a moment. Battle for Endor capitalized on the enormous popularity of the Ewoks. It's all about an orphan girl who joins up with the Ewoks to protect their village from the evil marauders. So this is technically a sequel to the first Ewoks movie. We'll cover that in a sec too. But this thing goes off the rails pretty quick. Even as a kid, I remember thinking this thing sucked. It felt like an unrelated spinoff that they just slapped a Star Wars logo on. 
it's based on a story by George Lucas, was, but was adapted so heavily that it barely represents the Star Wars universe. You can catch a bunch of these on Disney+, Plus, and they put up this Star Wars vintage thing, which I've talked about here before. So depending on your age, you may look back at it finally, but it does not hold up well. All right, number 14, The Phantom Menace. And it's just that the disappointment never left. In fairness, how in the world was this movie going to live up to the hype? It was borderline impossible, but it still does have some redeeming moments. I think when we went to see the first of the new prequels, we were looking for a rehash of the original trilogy, but that wasn't the point of this film. Still, I remember leaving the theater feeling hopelessly let down. Some things that stand out, though, are like the pod racer scene, the Darth Maul duel, and it features some of the best music John Williams ever composed. It's unfair to criticize something for not being exactly like the original movies because we still have those to go back to. I think the problem is the Phantom Menace completely lost the tone created by The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. It seemed a little too cartoony, and then, of course, having Jar Jar Brinks in it just didn't help either. I think the most telling sign The Phantom Menace didn't work is from a documentary you can find it on YouTube. It's called The Beginning, Making Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. And as he's watching some of the first cuts of the film, you can see the dread washing over George Lucas. He's just got this look like, I've got a terrible feeling about this. And add to that all the disasters that took place with filming this movie. Look this thing up. It's pretty astonishing. At number 13, Caravan of Courage and Ewok Adventure. This is the first offering of those made-for-TV Ewoks movies. And this one, Caravan of Courage, holds up a little bit better than the battle for Endor. And of course, for me at this age point, this was a monumental event in my household when it came out. It was still okay, but I think I was expecting Luke Skywalker to show up and take over this entire movie. That didn't happen. In Caravan of Courage, we get a bit more connection to all things Star Wars. It came out in 1984 and it brought the Ewoks back into our lives. It has only been a year since Return of the Jedi at this point, so everything's still fresh in our minds. And this movie is just the simple tale of the Ewoks helping two young kids reunite with their parents. Whereas Battle for Endor felt a little too fantasy-ish, Caravan of Courage felt better connected to science fiction. George Lucas had you know, more involvement with this one at first, and he served as the executive producer. Though the budget was limited, and that's really clear in the special effects, but for a kid, it was amazing. And it was um, this, like I said, monumental experience in my house. The fact we had a new Star Wars that we didn't have to go to the theater to see. It was in our living room, and we got to make our own popcorn and watch it. It was a big deal. But you might you might wonder, why was George Lucas involved in this, like, simple TV special movie when he was the biggest producer in Hollywood at that point. Well, that leads nicely into the next (laughs) ranking on the list at number 12, the star Wars holiday special. And if you've been around this podcast for a while, you know all about this thing. This should technically be dead last on this list, but the legacy of the star Wars holiday special has made me push it up higher. What happened on the night of November 17th, 1978, wasn't just regarded as the worst thing to ever happen to Star Wars, it was considered one of the worst things to ever air on TV. If you haven't seen this thing, 
here, here's the summary. The Star Wars Holiday Special is a story of Chewbacca trying to get back to his home planet to celebrate the Wookiee Holiday Life Day. That's it. That's the entire plot. What takes place over the next two hours are some of the most asinine moments in TV history. And this is what I, I mean about George Lucas, why he was involved in the Ewoks movies is because this thing was so bad that it, because he wasn't fully involved with the Star Wars holiday special, he started to have like complete fixated control on all Star Wars content. And it's uh, one of the thoughts of why he's so controlling over everything over the years was because of this special. The idea with it was he wanted to keep Star Wars fresh in the public's mind after the original Star Wars A New Hope came out. But this show went completely off the rails. And honestly, you just have to see it to believe it. I've done a whole episode all about this thing. You can find the entire holiday special on YouTube. The problem is, like I said, is the worst thing ever, though. It's grown on me. I don't know how it's become a tradition, but I now watch it every Christmas. And it's so bad that I now secretly love it. And despite George Lucas wanting nothing to do with it, it's now become Star Wars canon. Life Day was mentioned in the first episode of The Mandalorian, and then we got to see the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, which also paid, paid tribute to the original Star Wars Holiday Special. So love it or hate it, this thing is never going away. Okay, at number 11, Revenge of the Sith. So I'll just say it. I feel like I sat through all the prequels just for the last 10 minutes of this movie. It's definitely the best of the original prequels, but I'm not sure that's saying a lot. I do like the darker tone of this film and seeing Anakin's descent into Darth Vader. Ewan McGregor is great. I love his portrayal of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I also love seeing the prog progression of Palpatine in into what will ultimately become the Emperor. With Revenge of the Sith, I feel the prequels ended on a high note. The night I saw it in the theater, I couldn't wait to get home and watch the originals. Finally, these movies were all connected together. The problem to me, not including the ending, is there's not a ton that's memorable in Revenge of the Sith. It, there may be to you, but just not to me. But ultimately, it ties up Anakin's journey. And that's the best way to look at all nine movies. The originals are all about Luke. The prequels are about Anakin. And the last three are about Rey. And speaking of that, at number 10, The Last Jedi. How can one movie cause such division? But I'll give you... here. This is my initial reaction when I first saw it. I was embarrassed I had convinced my brother and my brother-in-law to go see it opening night. They're not the biggest Star Wars fans in the world, but they love it. And I was hyping this thing. I was like, this is going to be the greatest movie we ever see in our lives. So they went to it, and I was embarrassed I took them. I somehow felt responsible for the disappointment they felt. You know that awkward silence in a movie theater after an awful movie? It was like palpable that night. Whereas there was like an excitement and joy in the theater after watching The Force Awakens on opening night, this was the complete opposite. I remember people booing. And I don't know if the theater I went is representative of all movie theaters the night it showed, but I think that was the same across the board. For one of the few times in my life, I actually went to the movies by myself to go see it again because I just didn't want to take anyone or I couldn't convince anyone to go. I wanted to see if it was as bad as I remembered. It wasn't, but it still felt like a letdown. It just seems to me 
so disjointed. Ray's background now meant nothing. We have this new supreme leader out of nowhere. And a lot of it is like the dialogue can be eye rolling. They try to stuff humor into it like it's a Marvel film and it just doesn't work. It's just so clunky. The Princess Leia like flying through space scene. I don't know. Like I said, it was just like I felt embarrassed watching this thing. With more viewings, however, I do think it's decent. I think it took a little while to get going. Um, But the initial impressions still mean a lot. I will say, however, it's visually stunning and probably has the most impressive visuals of anything ever done in Star Wars. At number nine, Solo. I left the theater just feeling kind of meh about Solo. I'd been waiting for a movie like this since I was a little kid. And again, I think expectations were still too high. However, the next times I I watched it, I liked it a lot. And sort of, you know, subsequent viewings have brought me a little closer back to that meh level, but I still think it's a fun adventure. I love origin stories and, you know, who's better than the two-bit space pirate in Han Solo. The movie, though, faced a lot of just disjointedness because Ron Howard had to be brought in to finish it. And I think it shows when this, you know, often happens with movies. I I think it's kind of evident. At its core, though, Solo is a heist movie, and that's what makes it really fun. The problem to me is I feel Han Solo takes a bit of a backseat, and there's too many other characters that are a little more front and center. I think he's, to me, it seems like he's an additional character in this whole thing, though Donald Glover is is perfect as Lando Calrissian, and I, he's astonishing in it. And seeing the origin of when Han and Chewbacca met, you know, fills in a lot of these gaps. So it, it's it's definitely good, but it's not as great as it could have been, if that makes sense. Okay, number eight, The Rise of Skywalker. So I like this movie. With each viewing, I continue to like it. It's not like I like it more or less each time. I just like I continue to like it. I understand the criticisms criticisms of it, but we all know that J.J. Abrams had a mess on his hands. He had to come in and try to put the pieces together together to conclude this trilogy. I also realized why Carrie Russell was in this film of all people. I never knew J.J. Abrams was one of the producers of Felicity. Remember that TV show with Carrie Russell? So that is all clued in today. So I love the return of the emperor personally. I know a lot of people didn't. I like that they make him even more sinister and his scenes of his return and his confrontations with Ray are just amazingly intense. To me, the ending seemed a little too much like Endgame, but it was the culmination of over 40 years of movies, so I get it. I like that we finally got some clarity regarding Rey's lineage. I was hoping she was a Kenobi, but we can't always get what we want. Again, visually, it's obviously striking. As a series, I thought this ended as well as it could. Many didn't like that they had to go back to the well and bring back the Emperor. I get that, but... Ultimately, it was a simple way to at least tie together the entire legacy. Okay, at number seven, The Force Awakens. There was so much anticipation for this movie. It had been so long since Revenge of the Sith, and expectations were through the roof again. Looking back, it may not be as great as we originally thought, but I went with this ranking based on how I felt the first time I watched it. I thought it was such a joyous surprise that The Force Awakens was so good. I was expecting 
not great. And I think we got this sort of glorious return to the Star Wars universe. With enough time passed, you know, it does seem like a rehash of A New Hope, and but that doesn't diminish it. I think, you know, it gave Han Solo the send-off that Harrison Ford had always wanted with the self-sacrifice. And we got to see Star Wars in a new and better world of CGI and advanced technology, and it felt right. Rey is a great character in this movie, and I think the film itself is filled with some iconic imagery. Kylo Ren works well really well as a suitable adversary. And I think Adam Driver is brilliant in it. I find it really easy to rewatch The Force Awakens and I feel it's going to hold up pretty well for years. So that's why I have it here. At number six, The Mandalorian Season 2. And then, you know, speaking of coming out of nowhere, that's what The Mandalorian is to me. I was very hesitant to hear about this new Disney Plus series. And The Mandalorian was such a pleasant surprise. I don't know if it was the same way to you. I'll cover more about season one in a minute. I think season two may have been more impactful, but season one helped to establish this new, it's already an established Star Wars world, but the new way we're looking at it. And I think it put all those pieces in place. In season two, we get the continuation of the return of the child that we now know as Grogu, baby Yoda, as he's being returned to the Jedi. And the entire season really expands out the Star Wars universe. I love how different directors were brought in to give their own take on the specific episodes. This makes all the episodes feel like they stand alone, despite all being connected together. I think like the episode that Bryce Dallas Howard directed, where they're out on that sort of farming land place, and it had a little Jurassic Park, Jurassic World feel to it. I don't know if you picked up on that. That's what I mean. Each of these directors got to put their own imprint on each episode. And then there's the most surprising return in years. Spoiler alert, in case you haven't watched this yet. When the last episode of season two came out, I had to avoid spoilers all day, but I almost accidentally had it ruined and realized something big had happened. But never in a million years did I think we'd ever see Luke Skywalker again. And I feel this series and even that one moment brought Star Wars back to life again. Everyone was just like, over the moon and besides themselves to see something like this. Everything about this show works and it's nice to feel excited about something to do with Star Wars again. At number five on my list, The Mandalorian Season 1. So as I just like alluded to, I had very little hope for this show when I first heard it announced, but Jon Favreau blew us away with this series and captured the essence of what the original Star Wars A New Hope was all about. The look and the tone of it give us a return to that Western-style Saturday afternoon serial, which is at the heart of the original movie. It doesn't go over the top with fan service to me, despite how much I actually love that. I am a sucker for anything fan service. And it introduced the world, of course, to Baby Yoda. Pedro Pascal's terrific, and the score is really unique and creates a real tone and atmosphere to the whole series. I was amazed at how great the technology was in this series, um, the CGI and everything. I didn't know it would be that sort of advanced and encompassing. I also loved how it explored, you know, more of those father-son themes that we saw in the original trilogy. I don't think I know anyone who didn't like The Mandalorian, and it was an unexpected surprise to return us back to the Star Wars universe. Okay, getting into the top four here. At number four, A New Hope. 
Okay, the film that started it all. And it's hard to rank the definitive movie in a franchise, but I'm sticking with number four for a few reasons. The first is, you know, now when you go back to watch it, it's pretty cheesy. The dialogue is absurd. The acting is not great. Some of the, some of the performances are are kind of laughable at times. The story is also that very simple Joseph Campbell hero's journey. Not that that's not effective, but you know, it's a, a real cookie cutter plot. Again, that doesn't matter. This movie is astonishing still, especially when you consider it's, you know, what, coming up on 45 years old. If you watch a 4K copy of this thing, it looks like it was made five years ago. Even with the technical limitations of the 1970s, it's a remarkable spectacle and changed movies forever. I just did a show recently, um, if you go back a few episodes, all about how Jaws was like the first true blockbuster in conjunction with Star Wars, but just because... Uh, Jaws came out a few years before and then, you know, ultimately did create the blockbuster. Fun fact, we get the term blockbuster from lines at movie theaters that were stretched all around the block trying to get into Jaws and Star Wars. And people were actually like busting up the blocks and just scattering everywhere trying to get into these movies. Okay, number three, I understand if you probably turn this off here, Rogue One. I love Rogue One. I'm a sucker for anything that takes place, you know, sort of alongside something we know is already happening. You know, Rogue One is taking place as Star Wars is happening and they connect by like within 10 minutes of each other. I love to me that it improves the viewing of the original. I also love that they base the entire movie on just two lines from the opening crawl in A New Hope. It's dark, it's violent, it lets us deep into the characters, and it has what I believe to be the best scene in all of Star Wars when Vader comes in and destroys everyone while trying to retrieve the stolen Death Star plants. This movie and that scene put it in, you know, they kind of create this moment that defines the entire Star Wars universe when Darth Vader realizes what is about to happen because those plans were lost and stolen and the coming rebellion and thinking back to his past. And it, it's just such a powerful moment to me. And everything that happens in this movie feels important because we know how it's going to play out. It also, it feels raw and, and gritty and the battle scenes are astonishing. And I thought it created some of the best drama of any of the movies. When I want to watch a Star Wars movie, Rogue One is the one that comes to mind all the time. So that's why I have it listed this high. Okay. And depending on how you feel here. Okay. Number two, The Empire Strikes Back. Yes, this is the best Star Wars movie, but I'll explain why it's not my number one choice in a moment. The Empire Strikes Back was thankfully not a rehash of the original and took us deep into Star Wars mythology. We got a better understanding of who Luke Skywalker is and it contains the best reveal in movie history. It's also visually stunning. It had only been three years since A New Hope, but the advances in filmmaking and technology seemed to jump by light years in that short period. If Star Wars was more of a kid's movie, The Empire Strikes Back became more adult. As writer Lawrence Kasdan says, the second part of a three-act play is often when things go to hell, and that's often the best act of the entire play, and that's exactly what happens in The Empire Strikes Back. They leave us very unsure of things, and we have no idea where we're going to go from here. 
ultimately, more than 40 years later, this movie is still flawless. Okay, number one, obviously, what's left, Return of the Jedi. And, uh, you know, many wouldn't agree, but I picked this as my number one choice because it brought everything together so perfectly. What makes it stand out to me is the excitement and action that drives this film forward the entire time. It never stops. It barely catches its breath. Where The Empire Strikes Back slowed things down, Return of the Jedi came back full throttle. The space battles were epic. We saw the destruction of Jabba the Hutt, Boba Fett at the time. We experienced the Ewoks and the battle on the forest moon of Endor. It reveals Anakin Skywalker's true humanity, and it wraps up the whole trilogy nicely. I love it because we see the full journey of Luke. It shows how resilience and heart can overcome any obstacles. In this case, whether it's the Ewoks or the Jedi, the little guy wins. Return of the Jedi has always been my favorite Star Wars movie, and every time I watch it, it transports me back to that little kid who was in absolute awe of what he was seeing. So I should wrap it up here. I just I find this whole topic interesting, and I noticed something a few years ago. Whenever a new Marvel film or trailer came out, there's this like flourish of activity to break it down, to interpret the meaning, to predict what's going to happen, just like a full-on analysis. When a Star Wars movie has come out now, it's just like only backlash. And I'm not sure when this happened or why this happened, but just a division seemed to happen. You know, like, like I said, when like I'll watch Marvel review stuff all the time and everyone, you know, I don't remember ever hearing people necessarily criticize Marvel movies they w- the way they would with Star Wars movies. And just, I don't know where that happened. I don't know if it's just when change comes to something that people cherish so deeply with just those original three movies, um, how hard it's been for that sort of legacy to continue. I feel that the rise of Skywalker really signaled the end of all things Star Wars, but the release of the Mandalorian, I think has really breathed like, you know, fresh life into this whole thing. I'm not sure where things go from here, but the franchise has created this film legacy. That's not going to go away anytime soon, whether it's just on Disney plus we might not ever see it on the big screen again. That just might be where it's sort of relegated. So I'll finish it there. I hope you like this. This was not easy to put together, but I'm done. It's out there now. So I'll just finish, like I mentioned at the start. If you want to take off now, close this out, that's cool. But as I was just mentioning at the start about Patreon, that is a way to support small shows like this through like a small monthly, basically donation as low as like two bucks a month. But then there's different tiers and with each tier comes different rewards. So the one, the Boba Fett level gives you access to the Everything 80s Movie Club. So that's where I just reviewed The Princess Bride. And I review a whole ton of the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. If you want to see more, just go to patreon.com slash 80s. So p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash 80s. Or wherever you're listening, there'll be a link that'll take you there. Okay, that's it for me. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.